Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans Podcast. I'm Clint. Thank you for joining me today. Today, I have a special shout out to Bob Curry, who hooked me up with my source for today's material for this episode. And I'll tell you a little bit about our interaction before I actually get into the content of the episode, but after I give a shout out to my sponsor, USA Kilts, Rocky and Eric and their crew there. They uh, there's there's actually several of them that take a very prominent role and in the in the YouTube content they're putting out now. And so I I feel bad narrowing narrowing it just down to them, but they're the ones that I've actually had interaction with in the past. And so um, they've got a great thing going there with the USA kilts. Just they take a lot of pride in the kilts that they make and they, and the other products that go with the kilts and their customer service free shipping in the US all sorts of reasons why you should go to them to clothe yourselves or adorn yourselves with things that show your pride in your Scottish heritage so go to usakilts.com to buy any of those things that you want to to do that with or go to their YouTube channel USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions to find not only Rocky and Eric but their whole crew uh, in their their presentation of content that I think is very, very helpful as a kilt owner, a kilt wearer, as a person who's interested in Scottish history and Scottish culture. Go over there and check them out at USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions on YouTube and go buy stuff at usakilts.com at their storefront. Okay, so here's the, the background to this episode. I had, I didn't find it till way later. I found a, a message from Facebook Messenger, from a, a Bob Curry, and but I didn't see it till later. What I saw first was the actual email that he sent me because he sent the the Facebook Messenger message. If I understand the dates on this first, but I didn't see it till later. What I saw was the email, and it said, "Hey, I've got it was this is in response to the episode I did on the professional kindreds, in which I mentioned the McVericks." but didn't go into a lot of detail about any one because it was them and several others who were kindreds that were associated with a specific trade or skill. And, and I just kind of gave the background of that. So if you want, you can go back and check that out in our list of, of episodes, whatever platform you're listening to this on. And so it was in response to that. And he says, I've got a little more information on that, on the McVerics, if you'd like, um, I can mail it to you. And I'm usually hesitant to give out my mailing address because it's the same as my street address, but because of the context and he spelled McVerich correctly, um, then I was like, okay, this is, this is somebody who's legit. He's actually following. So I, I sent him, I, I gave him my, or my, my street address and he was kind enough to hook me up, which came just a couple of weeks ago, uh, this little booklet, a little pamphlet it's 32 pages long, but it's small pages. That includes illustrations. and But it's more detail, specifically on the McVerichs, but it's under the name Curry. I will get to that connection in a second. But that came in the mail. Then I got, got back, and I got to connecting things. I, and I, I found the, the Facebook Messenger message, which is where I connected that this Bob Curry is actually, now let me get back here and get on the actual, um, the message that he sent, but he is the commander of the names and arms of Curry, which is interesting. 
Um, so he's he's actually within this kindred in the modern day clan societies that we have. He's actually a deal. So um, I'm glad that I'd have somebody of such a high profile reach out to me um, and take an interest in in what we're doing here. So uh, that, that's that's really neat. Um, so thank you for doing that. Um, Bob Curry, thank you for sending me this information. It's, it's nice to be in contact with you. And, and because you took such an extra effort to hook me up with some sources, this, this episode is dedicated to Bob Curry and the whole McVeric kindred or the Currys as they're more commonly known today. And, and yeah, so this is dedicated to him and to them. So why are the McVericks or the Currys a big deal? Well, before I get into the connection between the name McVerick and Curry, um, we got to know why. Why are they a big? Why, why are we even talking about them? Well, because they were a amongst. Uh, if you go back to that previous episode, there is I listed several kindreds who are connected with certain trades or skills. The McVericks were a bardic kindred, meaning they were bards. What's a bard? Well, back in Celtic society, and I say Celtic because I mean to span the Q-Celtic and the P-Celtic, the Goidelic and the Britonic, two sides of the Celtic family into which all um, Celtic languages can be gathered, either one side or the other. The one side, the Britonic or P-Celtic side, being represented by Welsh, Cornish, and Breton. Cornish has died out, but has been resurrected, I understand. I'm not really sure how that all goes, but you can find people speaking it on YouTube. Breton, which is not very widely spoken in France, but in the province of Brittany, it is still spoken, and my understanding is that is an unbroken connection from ancient times, and there's a really cool history there. And they bring into the Scottish clans subject because some of the Scottish clans today actually have Breton origins, origins in Brittany, who jumped into the... Norman force came in Britain with William the Conqueror, and some find, it, find their way up into Scotland and become clans in their own right. So that's the Britonic or P-Celtic side. The Welsh being, for those of you in the United States who don't know this, out of all of the Celtic-speaking people, the Welsh have done the best at maintaining their language. A higher percentage of Welsh people speak and use Welsh in their life than do any of the other Celtic languages. And I say that with a little bit of pride as the Edwards family, my surname, comes from Cardiganshire, Wales, also known as Ceredigion, and um, I, my ancestors came over to the Rocky Mountains speaking Welsh, and so yeah, so I got a little pride there, a little, little bit of that going on with my surname, but going back to the other side of the Celtic family, you have the Q-Celtic or Goidelic side, and that includes the Scots-Gallic Irish, Gaelic, and the Manx languages are on that side of the family. And things that are common, bards were common to both those people. The Welsh had bards, the ancient Britons from whom the Welsh descend, and as well as the, the Gaelic or Gaelic-speaking people. Um, also, just maybe a quick note for those of you who don't know, in Irish, they tend to pronounce it like Gaelic, but they tend to favor the use of the term Irish when they're speaking English. In Irish, the language itself, it refers to the language as Gaelica, something that sounds like that. And in, when they're speaking English, they pronounce it more like Gaelic, but because they don't want to get it confused with what's spoken in Scotland, they usually just call it Irish. That's my understanding. If you know better than that, 
comment below. Um, in the in Scotland, you have Scots Gaelic. They pr- tend to pronounce it more like that Gaelic, um, Gaelic in in actual Gaelic. So you had those, and and a bard is common to all those people now. What did the bard do? Well, the bard is responsible for the history of the people, which he often expressed in verse rather than prose. And sometimes that was accompanied by a musical instrument, probably most commonly the harp. Now, fast forward from the ancient, ancient times to the late medieval, early modern period in when we have the clans that we would recognize today, the... That was one thing that a person in a in a chief's retinue, in a chief's household, that's one of the functions that was filled would be a bard. The McVericks became preeminent amongst the bardic kindreds. Um, they the biggest name, and they were prominent in the Hebrides, but that's not where they got their start. I'll get into that in a little bit, and, and I want to maybe start chronologically in this little pamphlet that Bob Curry gave me. I want to go backward, start in the back, and then move forward, because we're, how, what's the connection between the name Curry and the name McVerich? Now, I'm not a Gaelic speaker, but I've had to learn some of it to, or at least elements of it, to understand what I'm talking about when I get into the Scottish clans. It, not just the, na- the kindred names, the personal names, but also place names. Um, so toward the back on the page 21, it says the name Curry dates from the fall of the Gallic order in the 18th century. Uh, it's during this period, many old Highland names were anglicized or an English name was chosen that had the faintest resemblance to the sound of the Gallic one. The name McVerick began to appear in many forms, including McMerrick, McVerick, McCurry, and eventually took on the form of the present day Curry and other related spellings such as C-U-R-R-Y and C-U-R-R-E-Y. Okay, so how do we make this connection? One of those ways that we make this connection is um, understanding how the Gaelic works. So they descend, this ties into their, their name, McVerick, ties into their, their farthest back ancestor. They're claimed to be founded by a member of the, the O'Dali kindred in Northern Ireland, who they were... They were, uh, performed the same, uh, a learned kindred. They were, they were the same function in Northern Ireland. Um, they had their ancestor, Muradach O'Dali, the ancestor of the McVeerich Bardic family in Scotland. And he was born, according to Irish tradition, around 1180 in Meath, a student of Ireland's renowned Bardic colleges. He was a member of one of the country's most distinguished literary families, one which claimed descent from Khan of the Hundred Battles, a legendary High King of Ireland. His remarkable story was documented by the Chronicle of Irish History, the Annals of the Four Masters. Muradach's father Angus, himself a poet of distinction, had six sons, including Muradach. The eldest, Donacha Moore, also a poet, is considered one of the most notable of the Middle Ages. O'Dally arrived in Scotland in 1213 as a fugitive following his murder of Fian O'Brolagan, the prince of Tyrconnell's tax collector, who had the audacity to demand payment from him. In view of a bard's position in Irish society, their exemption from taxes and other privileges, for example, it was, unexpected and un- it was an unexpected and unwelcome request. An angry Muradach lifted his axe and split the unfortunate O'Brolagan's head, Perhaps surprised by the furor that followed, he wrote, 
trifling our quarrel with the man, a clown to be abusing me, and me to kill the churl. Dear God, is this a case for enmity? With the O'Donnells bent on revenge and in close pursuit, Muradach fled first to Galway, then Limerick and Dublin, before finally leaving for Scotland. From the time he arrived there, he was known as Muradach Alabanach, or Muradach of Scotland. All right, so that's how the McVurach ancestor comes to Scotland from Ireland. And it says in the next paragraph that he found a willing patron in Earl Alwyn II of the Lennox, whose lands were mostly located in the lowlands. I want to pause on this for a second, because this touches on my own ancestors, the McFarlands. Uh, if you've been following this podcast for a long time, you know that that's how I got my interest in Scottish history, specifically the Scottish clans, as I have, just like I mentioned earlier in this podcast, I have Edward's ancestors that came straight from Ceredigion or Cardiganshire, Wales, out to the Rocky Mountains, to Utah. I also, right, I think in the same year as the Edwards migrated, I had McFarlane ancestors migrate in 1855, not on the same ship or in the same wagon company, but same year. And my ancestor, William McFarlane, and his wife, Margaret McCormick McFarlane, settled in in the West Weber area of Utah, which is now part of Weber County. And so, um, where do, how does the McFarlands tie into this? Well, the McFarlands are actually descended from a younger branch, uh, descended from a younger son of the Earl of Lennox. Now, at the time that Muradoc's coming into Scotland here, he remained, it says he remained until Alwyn died in 1217. Well, this is actually before the McFarlands were a distinct kindred. At this time, they were just part of the Earl of Lennox's family. It wouldn't be until later on that this younger son and his descendants, generations down, you have a Parlin, and his son would be MacFarlane. Now, the reason why that name changes is also connected to how the McVurich becomes Curry. Um, when you're showing possession, as in son of, you drop an H behind that initial consonant if the name of the person whose son it is, his name starts with a consonant, like a P, or in this case with the McVerics, an M. And that changes, the, the H is more of an accent marker that changes the sound of the consonant than it is an actual letter in Gaelic. So with a P, when you drop an H next to it, to the right of it, it makes the P take an F sound. So you have, instead of MacParlin, you have MacFarlane. And when you have MacMuradach, and I don't know all of the things, how it goes from one to the other, and what happened to that D in the middle of it, but maybe it got an H too. I don't know how the, langu- the rules of Gaelic work, but I do know that when you drop an H next to the M, it can do two things to it. It can change it to a V sound, so you have something that sounds more like MacVurich, instead of McMurich or McMuradach, or you can just breathe right past it, in which case it would sound more like McMurich. And do you see there how we get curry? You have people who want to maybe fit in in an English-speaking world, and so they drop the Mac. And gosh, not every English speaker can identify every, the, the linguistic roots of every English, like Anglo-Saxon name. So if your name's Curry, you, you have, if you're an English speaker, you don't know that that's a Gallic last name. And you can, then the person who's adjusted their name accordingly can just walk around without having any type of negative bias or prejudice toward his origins. Oh, we don't want to 
hire this guy. He's one of those guys, right? Well, you, and this is something you can do when you look like everybody else. Now, in other scenarios where your skin is of a different color, you couldn't just change your name or adopt a different accent if you're that good with accents. You had to actually... Uh, and there's, it was it was a little bit harder scenario for that person, but in the world of the Gales, who physically put the same clothes on them and drop them in the middle of London and teach them how to speak with a London accent, nobody can see the difference. Well, that so you change your name, you drop that Mac off the beginning of it because that identifies you as at least having Gallic origins, and now your last name's Curry, but if you're if you're if that name goes from Mac Muradach the son of Miradach, and it's to show the genitive or the possessive. You say Makvirich, which can be breathed, that V sound can be breathed right past in some cases, and now it's Makvirich. Since we don't have that guttural CH on the end in English, what do we do with it when we're speaking English? Well, you either just copy the sound or you just drop it off. So it's now it's Makvirich, Mercury. Now you drop the Mac off and now it's just Curry. Do you see how that works there? Okay, so that's the connection between the surname Curry and the sons of Miradach, which won't be necessarily readily apparent to an English speaker. Now, another note I wanted to make on the, uh, the, this Miradach Alabanach becoming a part of the Earl of, the Earl of Lennox's household as his bard is not just the connection with the McFarlands, which my per- has my personal interest in it, but... Also, it says the lands are mostly located in the lowlands, but in the, early, in the late 1100s, early 1200s, those, that lowland area would have still been Gallic-speaking. And, and even until fairly late periods of time, you can read Michael Newton. He talks about this Gallic, this, this line, the Highland line, and, and this goes back to our point that you can't just draw these neat, tidy lines and everything in their nice little compartment and on this side of the line, they spoke Gaelic and they lived in clans. And on this side of the line, they didn't speak Gaelic and they didn't live in clans. It's not that tidy. Um, so, and even up until, I don't know, 1700s even, there were places out of the mountains in what was once the earldom of Lennox that um, in what you would consider lowland areas of this part of Scotland that were still speaking Gaelic. All right, so... So read Michael Newton, he talks about that and certain periods of time where Gaelic was still spoken in certain areas. So it's not, from a linguistic point of view, the fact that the Earl of Lennox's lands were mostly located in the lowlands of Scotland, it's, it's not as relevant from a language point of view, once again. Um, but the Earldom of Lennox did stretch, it encompasses all of Loch Lomond, which mostly sits in the highlands and, and a little farther north. In fact, they think that it might, that Clachnambreton, might be have been a marker of the northern extent of the the kingdom of Strathclyde, the the stone of the Britons, and that the earldom of Lennox may have overlain those boundaries a little bit. All right, so moving on in this little pamphlet, moving on from geography. So eventually, when Alwyn, the earl of the earl of Lennox, dies, Muradach pushes on and finds other other um, or, or his descendants find other patrons. 
It says, and now here's something I want to take a little bit of an issue with. It says, the lords of the isles, patrons to generations of McFerrick bards, owed their existence to the fearsome Summerled. Born around 1117 with a mixed Norse-Gallic pedigree, he founded a dynasty that covered much of western Scotland, Orkney, and Shetland, and the inner and outer Hebrides, driving out the Vikings in the process. As the king of the isles, he was fiercely independent of the Scottish crown. This portrayal of Summerled being a pro-Gallic, anti-Viking figure. Summerled was probably as much Viking as he was Gael, although he was probably a Gallic speaker. Um, but blood-wise, and his mother was from a Scandinavian background. So this wasn't a Gael versus Viking. In fact, the Vikings, quote-unquote, that he was fighting against were probably, by this time, in the, in the 1100s, a lot of them were also Gallic speakers. I'm not saying that by this time they'd have completely abandoned their version of Old Norse. I don't know how long they were spoken side by side and when the last speakers of Old Norse went out. If you know, put that in the comments for everybody's benefit. But um, this, the, this, is a, this is a mixed world. It's not a clearly delineated Gales versus Viking. Maybe back in the eight or 900s it was, so two or three hundred years before Summerled, it was. But by this time, it's not. The Vi First of all, the Vikings weren't a thing by this time. There were people descended from Scandinavians who may or may not have still spoken a language coming from Old Norse. But the Vikings were the original group who came in raiding and conquering. Viking was an occupation, not a genetic or... It wasn't a, it wasn't a bloodline. People say they have Viking blood. The best thing that, that, that the most accurate thing that could be meant by that is I have ancestors that go back far enough that I can trace it into the Viking age, which if they have royalty, they might be able to, which most people do. It's just a matter of finding which line of your family connects back in and it's well documented. But if you can get back there, that means you had ancestors who went a Viking. What you're really saying is you have Scandinavian blood. Scandinavians do have certain genetic markers that are unique to them and that identify them. And this has been used at length in the DNA research in the clans of Scotland, the clans descending from Summerled actually carrying a Y chromosome DNA marker that indicates some Scandinavian background. All right, so that's a thing, but Viking was an occupation. All right, so Summerled didn't drive out Vikings. He drove out, he conquered areas that had been controlled by Norway, and he threw out the leader, the ruling leader, the elite levels of society that opposed him, who may have also spoken Gaelic as well as he did, and had about the same mixture of Gaelic and Scandinavian blood as he did. <laughs> so it's the same world they lived in, and this world stretched from Shetland, Orkney, Caithness, all around the Western Isles, down through, clear down into Galloway, was this group of people, the, the Galgale. And that's where Galloway gets its name, the place name comes from Galgale, which means is a Gallic term referring to the mixture of Gallic and Scandinavian backgrounds. All right, so, so Summerlid didn't drive out the Vikings. The Vikings didn't exist, hadn't existed. The descendants, the Scandinavian descendants of Vikings existed. They had intermarried with Gales. They... Many of them were now Gallic-speaking. Anyway, enough on that. Um, interesting in this thing, it notes that the McVerich 
bards were honored by being seated before MacLean, MacLeod, MacNeil, MacKinnon, and MacSporan at the Council of the Isles. When the Council of the Isles would convene at the Great Hall of Finlagen in the Isle of Isla, under the Lords of the Isles, the MacDonald leadership, the McVerick bards were placed at that seat of honor before all those other kindreds who were members of the, the Council of the Isles. So that's interesting. Um, let me just pause real quick before I forget to give a shout out to my sponsor, USA Kilts, if you have any desire to wear something that expresses your pride in your Scottish heritage, go check them out at usakilts.com. They built their business around the kilt specifically, and I've got two of them. They're very good quality. The one's a more expensive, nicer one. The other one's a cheaper, but more take it through the backcountry on hikes and stuff, which is exactly what I got it for. A little more dirt resistant and snag resistant as you're hiking through sagebrush or juniper trees or pines or which, whichever part of the world you're climbing through. If you're in the southeastern United States, you got those briars, those those wait a minutes that uh, that reach out and grab you and catch you up, and you don't want that ruining in an ice kilt. So they offer a, a less expensive version where it's a little bit more resistant to that kind of stuff and to dirt. So I've got one of each. I can wear one on nice occasions, my five-yard kilt, and I can wear one when I'm out bumping around the backcountry. The customer service that they gave me was just awesome. Even when they didn't know that it was somebody that they sponsored calling up and asking them questions, they were still very kind and uh, and prompt in their service. So I recommend them to you. Go check them out, usakilts.com, and check out their YouTube channel. Tons of cool content on there. USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions is their YouTube handle. All right, guys. Um, what I'm just moving through this little pamphlet that I have mar- things marked in. Um, they established themselves. So we, so we talked about Muradach becoming patronized by the Earl of Lennox, but he dies, and eventually he he or his descendants, it doesn't say how far along this, when, when they had to seek further patronage, did further Earls of Lennox um, sponsor uh, Muradoch's descendants, or did they, was it still Muradoch as soon as the Earl of Lennox dies and he has to like, well, I got to find a new patron. So eventually, one way or the other, and I don't know how that process worked, but one way or another, they became hereditary bards to the McDonald's of Clan Ranald on the island of South U.S. This would have happened after the fall of the Lordship of the Isles. So they, they push out, they're, in, they're sponsored, uh, uh, maintained by the Lords of the Isles, the McDonald's, uh, and, they, and so their center of gravity shifts out to the Hebrides. But when the Lordship of the Isles crumbles, well, it was actually removed from them and just taken in by the King of Scots, and it went away, and now you 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 lack this title and this binding influence, this cohesive influence throughout the the Hebrides and Western Highlands. The McVericks find more specific patronage under the McDonalds of Clan Ronald. Now, the McDonalds of Clan Ronald, interesting story about them, and you may have heard me talk about this before, but they are really a new name on an old kindred, the McRorys. Good John of Isla married the McRory heiress, Anya, sometimes written as Amy in historical sources. And he had a few kids with her and then kind of dismissed her in favor of a Stuart woman, Margaret Stuart. I believe she was the sister of the King Robert II, who would inherit the throne, the first Stuart king. 
Anyway, they're an up-and-coming kindred in Scotland, and I don't know the whole story, but she is not his wife anymore. I don't know how that works. But he didn't... out of, I don't know if he still had just generally a general or genuine affection for his kids by her, but they basically, even though they're McDonald's descended from good John of Isla and, and Anya McRory, really what they inherit, and, and so their label is McDonald's, but their, their inheritance is basically everything that had been McRory land and the McRory's, the clansmen, any of them who might have ever in, in, entertained a surname, which is pretty early in that process. But um, they'll become McDonald's of Clan Ronald. Okay, regardless of what surname they went by or how closely connected they were, remember that's not all super important. But they they live under that banner now. the The chief of Clan Ronald would have been the one that they answered to, but he inherits all that had been McRory stuff. But now it's the McDonald's of Clan Ronald, and that's who sponsored the McVurich kindred at this time after the fall of the Lordship of the Isles. So and they and part of that territory that they didn't that the McDonald's of Clan Ronald had inherited from their McRory ancestors was the North and South Uist. And so that is where in South Uist the McVurichs become centered. That's where their power lies out of there. So they have that. Um, what else is did I have mentioned in here or outlined that I wanted to share with you guys? I'm just looking through this for any last things. Yeah, that was the that was kind of the main the main last thing there was where they ended up as patri- as as uh, bards to the chiefs of Clan Ronald, the McDonald branch, known as that who are who are the more modern version of the McRorys. So but I'm not saying they're less McDonald. I'm not trying to de-emphasize or minimize the fact that they were McDonalds, but the bulk of that the clan that that branch of the McDonald's inherited, the lands, the people who had been loyal to them were McRory's. But at the end, the McRory's, the McDougal's, the McDonald's are all descended from Summerlet anyway, so they were kin. And then you had the people living in that territory who had lived there forever and had no direct connection genealogically to the McDonald's or anybody else that's descended from Summerlet, but they eventually would become McDonald's too. And that's just how clans went. Anyway, that is the last thing I had to share with you about the McVurich. So thank you once again, Bob Curry, for reaching out, commander of the name and arms of Clan Curry. Oh, there's one more thing I wanted to mention in there. Don't go away. Don't go away. There's one thing I thought was interesting in here. It says in the very beginning, the origins of the learned kindred of Curry, that historically there never has there, there has never been a Clan McVurich or Clan Curry. In the opinion of a number of respected Gallic scholars, the term family is probably not right for a curry as it points to the lowlands. As Highlanders, hereditary bards to a number of clans, they are in, ver- in every sense a learned, quote-unquote, learned kindred, which may be the best designation for curry. So it's interesting that they do, they do get into the subtle nuances of what was a clan. Did the McVurichs have a live under a chief that would call them up or do something collectively? I don't know, because that's one of our criteria for a clan. Being a clan is having a chief. Now, I know there's problems with that for those of you who are like, whoa, 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 what about, what about, what about? But that's, you got to establish a baseline somewhere, and then you can handle exceptions later. I just thought it was interesting that they would be, whoever wrote this, I don't know if it was written by, it was written by Neil Gunn, but apparently he was uh, dialed into the nuances of 
this thing and decided to call them a learned kindred instead of a clan. Um, I, I, I have problems with the family versus clan nomenclature, but but there is something there. To, but I've ex, we've expressed that in length in other places. So if you want that, go check out other episodes. As for this, thank you, Bob Curry, for hooking me up with that reading material. I sure appreciate it. Um, and I'm flattered that uh, a, a, somebody who is a commander of the name and arms of Curry would would be willing to get involved in what we're doing here and hook me up with that um, hook me up with that resource there. And a lot of my what I how I decide to do a do an episode is what sources do I have. Commander of the Name and Arms of Curry, a.k.a. McVerich. Okay, so thank you, Bob Curry. Thank you for all for listening to this. I hope it was educational for you. If you found it valuable and you want to give back, you can go to scottish-clans.com forward slash team. I have a new online course on the origins of the Scottish clans coming out. I'm, it's almost there. I'm so close to being able to put that out on the market there for you guys to enjoy. It's going to be like taking a mini college course. Mini, meaning... Not quite that much time and effort, okay? The whole point of this is to allow people to gain a very, very solid understanding of the origins of the Scottish clans, um, not only by me teaching, but hooking you up with other scholarly sources that I've collected over time. And so in a relatively very small amount of time, you can obtain the same kind of progression that took me years to gain. Maybe you could argue even decades. So that's going to be available soon. It's coming. If you, uh, in the meantime... I'd like you to think about somebody right now. Who do you know that would be interested in learning more about the Scottish clans? Share this episode or this podcast with them. There's always a share icon on whatever platform you're listening to this on. There's always a way to share it. Subscribe, follow, whatever that is, because all of the platforms have a way to do that too. Make sure you do that. And until next time, Marishan Leib and Drasta. <laughs>